Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. Welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. And today we have an, another special guest with us, Adam Thomas. So welcome, Adam. How is everybody Howdy. doing today? Great, great. It's it's gloomy and sad in Utah. So that's what we have to offer here. Adam, what about you? Where are you at? And how's the weather? How's everything? How's Corona? <laughs> well, uh here in New York City, it's I think it's it's very similar to what you described, Eva. It's very uh, dark and gloomy, and has been for the last few days. But outlook remains hopeful. In terms of COVID, uh, yeah, just staying safe. I, I'm imploring everyone who's listening to this: wear your mask, stay indoors when you can. Uh, don't breathe on other people. <laughs> not to do that. General, um, and let's stay safe. Also, yes. Um, so I used to joke about. <laughs> This this is gonna sound really really wrong, but I used to joke about like, oh, over the weekend someone might come in and lick your keyboard, you know, in the office and stuff. I can't remember how that joke started, but now really not the time to lick anyone's keyboard. So no, please please don't do that. It, it um, yeah <laughs> reminds me of that Seinfeld episode. I don't know if anybody remembers that where Elaine goes into the other person's office and like rubs her keyboard like under her arm. Yeah, and like. Yeah. I think licks the stapler and stuff just and then ends up calling her crazy at the end because she like is appalled by Elaine's behavior in doing that. It seems even more appalling now. Like if, if you if you can imagine somebody yes. like rubbing their keyboard and, and like licking your stapler or something like I just even after the coronavirus and stuff goes away like that feels to me like it will just be an absolute uh horrible horrible thing so don't do it now don't do it ever and i don't think we'll ever go back to where that yeah. sort of thing will be a funny joke you can always count on us here um to give you good life advice <laughs> or corona <laughs> covet 19 advice here <laughs> um don't quote me in court but uh, i'm just saying also there was something that I was going to say is nowadays when I watch TV shows, I don't know if you guys feel the same way when I see people handshake, hug and talk like a normal day to day interaction. I'm like, wait, that looks wrong for some reason. Do you guys feel that way? Yeah, a little bit. Like it's just the way we, we talk to each other, the way we introduce each other, the way we interact with each other, that all is going to have to fundamentally change yep. due to COVID. Like it's, it's, it's weird thinking about all the second and, uh, secondary and tertiary effects of what this virus is, some of which we don't even know yet, and how yeah. they will bake into just the way we interact, um, just everyday things that you're comfortable will have to change. Exactly. And that sounds so sad. And every time we talk about <laughs> just how are things going, I feel like since we started this podcast, it's been either COVID, crazy weather, or oh, this one last one, I think, Adam, you might appreciate uh, Murder Hornets. I saw that you don't like bees. <laughs> oh, no, no bees. Yeah. And murder hornets definitely belong on that list. If I don't like bees, uh, I am I'm definitely afraid of, of the murder hornets. Obviously. Are you, yeah. Are you allergic to bees? Actually, no. You just don't uh, like them. I just don't like them. No, what ended up happening, um, I was in sixth grade taking a walk with my class and I used to be in love with bees. They said, they look cool. Uh, and uh, I got separated from the group somehow. And I think I just got obsessed with the bee, like a bee was going somewhere. And I was just like, oh, what's going on here? And then it stung me. And then I left out this insane scream, like a death scream. Like, ah! Uh, and which, which had to be, as an adult now, thinking back on it, like as an adult hearing a child make that noise. Like, <laughs> I, I, like, I couldn't imagine the teachers weren't freaked out. Uh, and then uh, then my fear of bees came from that bee oh. And it, uh, it affected my life so much that it now follows me everywhere I go. So 
<laughs> yes. And everyone nowadays are like, we need more bees. I don't know how you feel like, cause everyone's like, yes, we need more bees. And you're like, yes, but stay away from me. Right. <laughs> that sums it up. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy we need more bees. Just keep them over there. Right. I just, just away from me. As long as they're away from me, I'm all about the pollen production. Pro pollen. <laughs> Pro pollen. That's a new platform that we can, we can get on board with. Kyle, what about you? Do you, what, how do you feel about bees? I've got no problem with bees. Yeah, not a not a big fan of the wasps or hornets or anything. And we had we had a whole bunch of experiences with those with a whole variety of wasps in our backyard this past summer, and learned more about wasps than I think we wanted to. Like the variety of wasps, everything from cicada killers to red velvet ants, which are not in fact ants but are in fact wasps and some of the unique behaviors of those. And interestingly, did a different podcast episode about that, not here on Product by Design, but on a different <laughs> podcast. So if you're interested in learning more about different varieties of wasps, maybe we'll link that in the show notes. So yeah, a whole bunch of different ones. And we had a whole menagerie of wasps in our backyard oh boy. that would have probably freaked Adam out. And yeah, like cicada killers are literally... They're about the size of murder hornets and can carry grasshoppers. So we saw one literally carrying a grasshopper through our backyard. It was massive. And our son was like, is that, is that a hummingbird? <laughs> <laughs> and what did wife, you say? My wife like grabbed him because it was like it flew pretty close. And she's like, I don't know what that is. And I was like pulling him away. And it flew into a hole. And that was, yeah. We're like, whoa, that was, and then we had to go figure out what it was. And it turns out it was a cicada killer. But fortunately, they're wow. somewhat solitary and dig holes that interestingly, red velvet ants try to take over, which again are wasps, not ants. So what? there you go. Oh, with a name like red velvet ants, you would hope they were delicious. But seems yeah. like, seems like not. No. Like they're not. Also known as cow killer ants. So if that helps you know, like the stinging power of them, they don't actually kill cows, but if you happen to step on them, that is like the, the delivery power of the venom, which is not what you want to step on. Okay. And can I say that from what Kyle just said, which will inform how we feel about ants and other insects here <laughs> and Adam's story? Is this going to create a recency bias for our <laughs> listeners? I am really trying to segue into our topic today, and I hope that was a decent um, attempt at it. So, what are we talking about today, Kyle? That's, um, <laughs> I don't. That's probably like a maybe a, a C plus effort on the segue. Oh, B minus no. maybe. I, it's I don't have a better one, so I maybe I can't judge. But segue aside. We are talking about cognitive biases today and how, what they are, how they impact our work as product development teams and some of the things that we can do. And so before we jump into that though, let's introduce our guest a little bit more, Adam Thomas, who is a product manager, but not just a product manager, a, a strategist, a coach, and has worked as an executive. Uh, and helps build and train teams as a consultant and leader. And so uh, we're really excited to have him. He's done. He's been doing a lot of writing and speaking on some of these topics recently. So Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Uh, thank you, Kyle. I think that's, that's a pretty good introduction. <laughs> I, I've been doing this product stuff for over 10 years now and working on teams and in, in industries like uh, AI or VR or uh, big data or finance, I'm spending a lot of my time dealing with either innovation or big stodgy old companies. So like I'm, I'm I play on either extreme and uh, that's, that's kind of, I'm like a barbell. Right? If you ever heard like a, a barbell theory um, where there's uh, like, there's a, there's a lot of weight on either side and almost nothing in the middle. <laughs> like that's kind of my career where it's like, Either you're a company that's been around for a hundred years and I, I know how to navigate you <laughs> or like you're, you're trying to figure out how to put something in a market and like, you don't know, we don't know if people are going to like this. I'm really good at figuring that stuff out too. So that's my experience. And, uh, lately, and as you mentioned, um, I've been doing a lot of speaking and writing about, uh, 
the leadership role of a product leader, what you're supposed to do, how you transition from a product manager or a product designer or a, a product engineer or product anything into to product leadership. What does that look like? What are some of the ways you're changing? Your mind has to change in order to be successful at the role because that first year for a lot of folks is extremely difficult because uh, the game completely changes. And I think that's where we're talking, that's, uh, and, and dealing with cognitive biases is where we're, seems like this is where we're going today. So like that's, yeah, that's that's where we are. Awesome. So yeah, you, you, you wrote an interesting article about cognitive biases and how they impact product teams and some of the work that we do. So, before I guess before we kind of jump into that, what what is a cognitive bias? Well, the definition is um, a cognitive bias is a systemic pattern of deviation from norm or rationality and judgment. Basically, when people make their own subjective reality uh, from the perception of the input, meaning you take whatever you see and you create a whole different thing based on your own perception. We don't see. As human beings, we all fall into this trap of, of cognitive bias, right? We, we aren't videotapes. Like we, we aren't recording like just what's happening. We, we have our own layers of our experience that is on top of what we think and, and how we perceive things. And as a result, sometimes we make bad decisions based on those biases. Cognitive biases are, are basically, you know, the worst of those types of biases that affect our perception. Yeah. No, that, that's really interesting. I like that because it's kind of a different perception of how things can be and whether uh, that is, you know, ultimately right or wrong. You know, we have some of these different perceptions. So Daniel Kahneman wrote a whole a whole lot about this and he, he kind of separates them into like, well, he separates our mind into like system one and system two. And we, we rely heavily on that system one frequently, which is just our initial perception of things. And many times it can be right, but often, you know, we're just using some of those mental shortcuts to make judgments about things. And when that's right, it's fine. But when it's wrong, we have this distorted perception of what reality is, kind of like you mentioned. And and we when we make judgments or predictions or, you know, uh, make decisions based on that, we can often go down the wrong path, kind of like we were talking about that. So that can be a very, very dangerous thing, you know, if we're not careful, like, um, just like you were talking about with, with cognitive biases. So I think I, I love this topic. I think, it, I think it's super fascinating. So I'm glad that we're talking about it. What are some biases on that you've seen on product teams specifically? How does this kind of play into product management? And, you know, maybe we can even dive into uh, some of the product leadership stuff as well. Fantastic. Before we do, I, I definitely want to, to shout out your reference of, of Kahneman and uh, thinking fast and slow yeah. there. Um, Kahneman and, and Amos Bursky are basically the, the forefathers of modern uh, behavioral science, which uh, cognitive science falls into that. And you were speaking about system one, level one thinking, right? Which is really our snap judgments. And I really want to highlight that these judgments that come from our system one thinking are often baked in bias, right? They're baked in our own preconceived notions. They are baked into our, our perceptions are baked into these decisions we make. And um, the trick with cognitive bias is to acknowledge that, right? And this is, I hope this is like, this is one thing I want people to leave with before we go even, even any further. So really happy you brought this up. Uh, the trick is to move from uh, kind of system one, level one thinking and shift it into to level two, which is more of the conscious mind. Um, and the first step of that is awareness. So it's really good that we're talking about that today. And it's really interesting when we talk about uh, what product teams do, because a lot of the times, especially for product managers, uh, there's a little bit of insecurity. Um, and Matt LeMay, who I love, has written a lot about this. There's a lot of insecurity uh, from product managers because they don't have any discrete output, right? Um, and 
cognitive bias right, is something that, I, I, as you mentioned before, is something that everyone has. And product people should, instead of being insecure about the things that they're not being able to touch, like they're not making code, they're not making screens, or they're not making sales, should be focused on the decision science or the cognitive science or the cognitive um, uh, fitness, decision fitness of the teams. Right? One of the things that's that one of the things that's, that was important in the definition there was the term systemic, right? These things can build on top of each other if you're not careful. And all of a sudden you're making a mess of any plan that you're coming, trying to come out with as a team or as a company. What makes product or effective product teams really work is if the product manager can own that decision fitness and think about these systemic things that are happening and manage them in a way that helps more people get to that system two thinking. So when they are relying on that system one privately, um, it's a little bit more informed, a little bit more thoughtful, and that should help us get to better outcomes as product teams. I love that. I, I think that makes uh, that makes so much sense for one, and and is such an important thing. And thinking about product management in that way, that pro, uh, you know, such a core part of, of product management, especially, uh, you know, we're not owning necessarily the code or the designs or uh, the data or that sort of thing, but we're owning the decision process, like you said, I love that. And ensuring that we're not sticking with the system one thinking, you know, as, as Daniel Kahneman put it, but we're, we're helping the team and the organization move past some of those initial biases or initial levels of thinking into the conscious, which is, you know, as he put it, you know, we like to rely on, you know, some of our lazy thinking. It's difficult to move to the system to thinking. We don't want to do it, but as 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 product managers, that is an important part of our role is to make sure that we don't rely on the the laziness of the <laughs> the organization or the organism or whatever it is that only wants to stick with our initial guesses or our, our initial inputs or or those initial inklings and, and say, yeah, this this feels right. This is good. Let's just move ahead. Like, no, we need to consciously think about what we're doing and test out some of those assumptions and make sure that we're not giving in to some of those biases that we might have and really ensuring that we have that good decision process in place so that we're creating the right things and doing it in the right way. I think I, I, I love that. I think that is great. Yeah, I think that that response that you had, Adam, was beautiful and interesting that you guys both talk about how you guys as like product manager, product management people, you don't have like a tangible output, which I also saw in Adam, your article, you pointed that out too. And for me as a product designer, I do have tangible output, but there's also, I mean, we have talked about design thinking and a lot of things that go into before we even you know, launch Sketch and, and, and Figma, whatever tool you have to put out that tangible output. There's so much that we have to actually make decisions on. And like you said, judgment. And there's a lot of personal judgment put into those decisions too before we, you know, pump out that JPEG or whatever it is that we give to the engineers to build. And I think it's interesting to see where you guys, how you guys see that versus like we, you know, in previous episode, when we talk about design thinking, there are very well-defined steps. And I'm also curious to hear how you guys uh, handle those biases on, on teams that you guys have worked with and, and how you guys approach those things too. And I guess on, on that note, I want to hear more like, how do we identify the different kinds of biases or types of biases that you guys have seen? Well, it's, it's interesting, Eva, like it's the, the, the um, I loved what you, what you talked about there about design thinking, right? And I think the best part of design thinking is when the designer can trust their level one thinking to move that process forward, right? Their intuition. Um, and that's why product uh, managers, right? They have to complement that with that level two thinking, right? Um, and as Kyle mentioned there, that friction between the mm. two that allows um, friction is a big part of moving someone from level one to level two thinking or system one to system two thinking, right? Because you have to have somebody to say, hey, stop, what are we doing here? <laughs> and challenge um, that. Yes, 100%, right? That challenge that what I call creative tension inside of teams um, 
And we'll talk about that a bit more as we talk about more biases, right? And how do you leverage that in order to um, have better business outcomes and make better decisions? When it comes to like the amount of biases, uh, I've, there are a ton. There are a ton of, of cognitive <laughs> biases. I think at last count, I saw in, in, in a few books, upwards of, of three figures of, of different biases that folks can walk into and different traps um, that, that uh, behavior science is, is identified. Um, but it, I think there are like three main ones that really affect product teams that if you, if you get a handle on these three, that's like 80% of, of, of the freight, right? Like I'm a big fan of the Pareto principle, right? 20% uh, of the work does 80% of uh, what, what you need done. And I think these three are really the, the big 20% that you're able to, to, if you can understand, identify, and then shift teams over to that system two thinking with, um, with those three, um, that's 80% of the cognitive bias work that a product manager needs to do in order to have successful outcomes. And speaking of that, the three are uh, confirmation bias, recency bias, and availability bias. Nice. So let's, uh, let's dive into a little bit of each of those. So first off, confirmation bias. What is confirmation bias? That's the, that's, it's really the 20% of the 20%. So <laughs> confirmation bias is basically when we believe whatever we believe prior to whatever we're doing. So if I go into, let's just say a usability uh, test, and I believe that people are going to click the red button in order to uh, complete the transaction. And I, I believe that, and I want that. Every signal that tells me uh, that people are actually gonna click the green button is ignored, right? You just go, well, even though they clicked the green button, they were hovering towards the red button. So I like, you know, I think the red button's better, right? <laughs> As opposed to looking at the actual data that's in front of you and, and saying, okay, they, they're hovering towards the green button or they're confused and they don't know which button to hit. Uh, so maybe we should rethink how we're designing um, this flow, right? Um, so that's confirmation bias, and that affects an organization and almost, it, it affects the organization everywhere, right? Um, because, right, we don't like being wrong as human beings, and we'll do anything, especially if we just rely on that system when thinking, we'll do anything to make sure that we are not wrong. I, I love that example that you just gave too, because it's so real. And I mean, oftentimes we, we run a test and are you actually drawing conclusions from the data or are you putting your, your hypothesis in front of the data and trying to find data to justify what you think is right? And those moments come up so often. I mean, it's definitely a temptation to say, I want to be right. It's like exactly what you just said. I, I love what you just explained. Yeah. And I'd say... I. It's not even just at like a a development level, but it goes all the way, kind of like you mentioned, Adam. Yeah. It goes all the way up into an a, an organization or a strategic level. Like, what are the things that we want to be doing, and whether it's conscious or, or unconscious, finding the things that support what it is that we want, and you know whether that's you know if we have a, a strategic direction that we want to go as an organization you know, finding the reasons that support that and then kind of ignoring the things that don't. Uh, like you were saying with the red button test, you know, that can be done at ev basically every level. We want to be doing something uh, as a company. And so, you know, we're going to look at the marketplace and, and here's all the reasons why we should be doing it. And yeah, this is a great idea. And all the reasons to the contrary, we can rationalize those away. And, uh, you know, whether they are really compelling reasons why we shouldn't, those are things that because of confirmation bias, we're, we're just going to ignore them. And it's such a, like you mentioned, it's such a huge, huge issue because we're all so subject to it and because we want to be right. And we want to, especially once we've started in a direction or once we're married to an idea or have invested in, in something to some amount, like we want that to play out and we don't want to be proven wrong. And that's why it's such a dangerous thing uh, at, you know, a product level, at a, a strategy level or at a company level, the, the comp the confirmation bias, like it can be, can, it can really end up biting you if you're not careful. 
Exactly. Like that just made me think of every conversation I've had with the CEO. (laughs) 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 Every, especially if they're a founder, right? Like that's, um, you know, they, they believe or, um, they know that like they built the business to this point. Um, and they built it on a certain set of principles and the way to know, I think one of the, the, the big kind of levers to know if a CEO is ready to kind of move past that, um, you know, like series A or like that, they kind of like, we're just building a business here. And then like the growth of a business is if they can get that confirmation bias under control, because if they can't, right, that's when they start to really hinder at the vision and mission level, what's going on inside of a company, right? That's when they start patrolling the halls and going like, I don't care what the research says, that button needs to be red, right? And it's just like, wait, wait, you haven't even talked to customers in like two years. What are you, like, you barely look at the app. You're just looking at numbers all the time, right? Like, how, like, how do you know, right? And then they'll just go, well, I built this business and that's the only thing for it. Um, you know, and that's, that's really toxic. That's really toxic leadership behavior. And, um, you know, if, uh, uh, if a company, if a, if a, if a CEO is not ready to uh, take a step back, right, it's, it's probably a sign for that leadership team to start moving. <laughs> I think other times, I think. <laughs> Your your input is now not even being listened to. All right. So you mentioned next uh, recency bias. Let's talk a little bit about that one. Sure. That one is very easy, right? It's right in the name, right? We (laughs) just believe whatever we heard recently and how this affects uh, our product development is basically whenever you sit in a meeting, what tends to happen, especially the longer the meeting goes, the more, the more senior or higher paid people tend to speak more. And whatever problem you're solving soon ends up becoming the highest paid person's opinion or the hippo's opinion, like the, the rooms just going to the hippo's opinion. And because these folks, because they're the highest paid person, right? And they tend to be the last to talk, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what happened before in the meeting. Now we're just really listening to them. And if that was the case, right, why even have the meeting, right? Why, why not this just, why not just hand it over to them? and say, okay, what do you want out of this? And then, okay, I distribute it. Uh, because meetings are super expensive. Um, and if they're not really useful to everyone involved, then it's a waste of time. Like you're literally wasting company dollars doing that. And so that's what recency bias is, right? Uh, it's usually, uh, usually plays itself out by having, uh, it's when a bunch of people come into the room and the last person that speaks, which is usually the hippo, uh, makes a decision and we're kind of done. Yeah. I feel like a lot of listeners are hurting at home right now, listening and be like, I just had that meeting, (laughs) but this is something I think we all can relate to and uh, it sucks. Okay. Let's move on to the last type of bias. (laughs) I don't have a solution to save everyone from this pain, but we will at, by the end of this episode, I believe, but (laughs) okay. The third type of uh, bias we're talking about is availability bias slash heuristic. Do you want to explain to us a little bit more about that? Sure. So availability is essentially what, are, what do we have available? What do we trust? Like that's what we're going to look at when we're making our decisions. Now, the reason why this also is, this is a bias and a heuristic is that it can be helpful in certain respects, right? If you're, if you're managing the amount of information and data flow, we'll talk about that a little later, right? This can be extremely helpful in terms of getting good business outcomes. However, most of the time, um, people don't have the right available, the right data available to them, right? Um, there are certain teams that certain people trust and certain teams that they don't, um, and they, they want to admit this publicly, but they'll say, okay, I, just, I trust design, but I don't trust marketing. So uh, I'm going to listen to what's available, what design says, and then when marketing is here talking, it's going to kind of clock out. Or maybe engineering doesn't really put out a lot of material so people can understand what the context is when folks are making decisions and sales does, right? So all of a sudden you start seeing sales leading a lot more of the conversations and then engineering is like, why do sales lead the conversation? Well, they have stuff available, right? So like people trust them and and they're making those decisions, right? Um, And a very politically well-run organization, right? This is a good thing because uh, there should be some equity between all the different um, disciplines where uh, you can start to shape what that available, uh, what what's available, and how useful that is. But in most organizations, it's the opposite, right? It's it's a it's bad politics. Uh, what's available is what people like, um, and uh, 
the other side is often feeling shut out and uh, it ultimately leads to really bad outcomes because we're not getting the full, we're not getting the full Monty, we're not getting all the information that we could use to make better decisions. Yeah, I feel like that is, it's so real and so, uh, so pertinent. And, I, and I'm reminded again of, I, I kind of go back to a, a study that I think it was uh, Kahneman and Tversky again, that uh, a little bit more broadly, like you, you kind of talked very specifically about it within an organization, but that they did around availability, just broadly speaking, asking people about, you know, which, which thing is more likely a flood in North America or a flood in California caused by an earthquake. And most people chose a flood in California caused by an earthquake because earthquakes in California are something that is that comes to mind very readily because we hear about earthquakes in California in the news. Like that's not an uncommon thing. But if you, we think like what is the most likely thing to happen, it's a very broad thing. Like a flood somewhere in North America, like that is much more likely than a flood in California caused by an earthquake. Like that is a very, very specific event. And when we kind of look at that through the the lens of availability, like it's very available to us because we we hear about it. We know that there are earthquakes in California. And then going back to your point, like we use that heuristic because things are available to us. So like if sales is always talking, that information is available to us. And it's very easy for us to just have it always ready and at hand. And, you know, we're not going to have other information, even though it may be really relevant, it may be even better, you know, whatever the engineering information. But if it's not available, if it's not out there for us, we're not going to have it and we're not going to be able to make decisions off of it. And so we're going to use whatever it is that we have on hand. And that's just the the bias that we have or, or what we're going to be working with. And so it's not something that we may be even conscious of unless we take a step back and acknowledge that, hey, do we have all the information here? And again, I think this goes very much to the point that we were making earlier. The point of product management and product in general is to help the decision process and make sure that all of these things are put together in a way that uh, we're, you know, we're, we're making good decisions. So I, I think that, you know, these biases are, are super fascinating and, and I may be kind of jumping into some of the next topics, but with that, so I guess, you know, we've talked about some of the main biases here. How, how else do they impact some of the work that we do within our teams or within our organization? I think there are two major places where these biases really infect teams. The first is uh, something we mentioned at the top, right? Outputs. As teams go out and do their thing, right? Whatever, whether that's design or engineering or sales, like the last thing they want is a product manager breathing on top of them saying, what are we doing? How are we doing? What are we doing? How are we doing? Right? Um, everyone else is a professional. Right, you know, designers are professionals, engineers are professionals, salespeople are professionals. They know what they need to do, right? Um, but if you're not throwing that break and saying, "Okay, have you thought about this?" or I mean, this feels like I'd like to introduce this new information, or uh, I'd like to chop down, you know, some of some of what's available, so so we can actually talk and focus on the program or product or whatever it is, um, you end up in a really really bad spot because you start having this drift from what our perceived or wanted outcomes are as a collective uh, into what we actually end up producing as a collective, uh, which leads right to our second problem, which is the politics of an organization. I have a slide in this, this latest talk that I'm, I'm, I'm building um, for, for next year over a topic called survival metrics. And, you know, maybe I think We'll come back and maybe I'll come back and talk about that. But the the <laughs> um, in a year or so. But one of the slides in the presentation is it just says their politics and product grow up, <laughs> uh, and that's that's just my call to uh, product people um, that a yes, their politics and organization. We are humans. There are always politics. And b your job as a product manager is to manage the decision science 
or the decision fitness of an organization, which includes those politics. You're, you're, um, you're a diplomat and you're a translator. You need to embody both of those stances in order to have built a trust in an organization across an organization so that people can trust each other. Whenever you have these cognitive biases, um, as we mentioned earlier, they build up, they compound. And people start distrusting each other because of these biases. Right? If, if, there's a, um, if that designer uh, shows their research to someone else and they go, clearly they're going for the green button. What, what, what is this designer talking about? They don't say it out loud, but they just, you know, they go, oh, okay. So that was your conclusion. <laughs> and then they walk out and just go, this designer's not what they're talking about at all. Um, and, and then we end up in, um, in a place where all of a sudden design's not listened to. As, as I mentioned before, we're all professionals. We, for the most part, I'm gonna make the assumption that a lot of us that are working in these rooms and on these, on these things um, are uh, well aware of what the job is and what we're trying to do. Um, whenever you start going too far into your cognitive biases, you, uh, you, you get away from the trust that can be built in that situation. And uh, long-term, everyone starts distrusting each other and we're, we're getting even further away, right? Not just the outputs, but the thinking and how we're building stuff and how we're thinking about building stuff starts to become split off. And we're really just, now we're a mess at sea. Right, as uh, we're just the message C uh, as as a product development team. Awesome. We've we've talked a lot about what are some of the cognitive biases, how they impact our teams. What can we do to mitigate some of these biases that we have, or leverage them to help ourselves and help our teams in the process? I think the first thing that I want to one of the things that brings down cognitive a uh, uh, confirmation bias is discipline, visibility, and accessibility. I, um, and I really want to be super clear here because if you leave with one thing, this is it. When you are disciplined in whatever you do, whether that's sales, design, uh, engineering, and you leave a paper trail, uh, and and you're very clearly aligning what you're doing to uh, the company goals or the company objectives or the business objectives for that time horizon. People notice, right? They'll notice even more if you're communicating those things and being transparent. Um, and they'll notice even more if you're selling, right? Oftentimes this is why sales has a leg up on a lot of organizations because they're used to doing it, right? Like they're used to selling whatever they're trying to do. So they don't ever mind jumping in and saying, here's what we want. Uh, here's our, here's our, uh, here's our, uh, geez, I am missing the, the uh, Salesforce. Oh, how do you forget that? Here's our Salesforce. Here's how the conversations are going with our, um, here's how the conversations are going with our, with our uh, potential clients. Here is what our revenue may look like at the end of the year. Here's, uh, here's what we can do if we, if we satisfy these requirements. Right? They're constantly selling in the organization, not just out of it. Uh, and that's why you know, a lot of folks, uh, a lot of quieter teams like marketing tends to be quiet or design tends to be quiet or engineering tends to be quieter, can find themselves out of the picture when, when a, a team like a, a very competent sales team does it. With that said, this is also true for any competent team, right? If a design team is super competent, right? You have a bunch of senior designers. They're all, they're all doing this, right? They're all selling across the organization. You can't find a week when they're not selling, um, selling to leadership some sort of insight that they have. Um, same thing with marketing, same thing with um, any experienced team, right? Um, the ability to, to be disciplined and to, and to market and uh, communicate what you're finding and then selling that um, automatically starts to bring down that cognitive bias, that, that confirmation bias. Because, you know, when we sit down and, and, and people start referencing it more and start to talk about it more, it, it starts to break down some of those walls and to folks end up being embarrassed if they're not coming prepared, right? That's it's definitely an Amazon secret. Right, like if you show up to an Amazon meeting um, and you have a bad six pager, you know there's hell to pay, right? Um, <laughs> uh, they, um, and as a result, like um, you know they they turn stuff out all the time, or at least one of the reasons why they turn out all the time. They also have more money than God. So research, uh, just the discipline on on research and and presenting um, not just the research in terms of like building a study, but whatever your findings are, make sure that folks know what you're doing, 
make sure that um, you have some good questions. You're, you're engaging with everyone and in, in you're, you're communicating and selling those things. Um, another thing that's really helpful is, is meeting discipline. I, I know everyone hates meetings, but I think the reason why everyone hates meetings is because they've been in a bunch of bad meetings. Like at, people show up, they don't have any agenda. Um, there's no sort of, sort of uh, aligning action of the meeting, right? People don't stop and say, we're here to decide this, this, and this. Um, there are the wrong people are in the meeting. Uh, sometimes it feels like this meeting could have been a memo. In fact, <laughs> oftentimes it feels like this meeting could have been a memo. Uh, and when, when meetings, your meeting discipline in an organization is like that, um, cognitive bias is going to flow just because people are going to be tuned out when they're in meetings and like they're not going to engage uh, with uh, the material or the decisions that needed to be made. This is why we're spending um, 25 hours of company time in one room, right? Um, we should be doing something with this time. This is a very expensive thing that we're doing, right? We need to come out with some sort of uh, something, right? Um, and the third thing is, speaking of meetings, is double down on that, shorter decision-making cycles. Um, ask yourself, how, how can I make the decision-making cycle in a meeting as early as possible? And the cycle being, um, we lay out a concept, we talk about the concept, we debate the concept, and then we decide the concept, and then we move on, right? How, how small can we make those decisions? How small can we make um, those cycles in order for us to uh, make better decisions uh, quicker? Uh, remember the recency bias thing is usually happening because meetings are going long, long enough. And like the reason why a lot of folks end up being executives is because they have meeting endurance. And <laughs> <laughs> so you start really biasing towards the people with meeting endurance or the most passionate, i.e. the CEO or the founders, um, who are of course are going to be hyped up for every meeting because like, this is why we're here. Um, whereas, um, you know, a junior or, or a mid-level person might just be like, all right, well, they're gonna, I'm, I'm kind of out of this meeting after 25, 30 minutes. Like I can't hold my attention this long um, because I'm still trying to learn that skill, which is a bad skill anyway, but like <laughs> that survival skill. And you add that on top of the fact that most folks are going to just see that the hippo, the head, uh, highest person, highest paid person's opinion is going to win out anyway. Then it's like, why do I care? Like, uh. Um, but if you make that decision cycle shorter, everybody's really engaged inside of the, the the conversation, right? If your if your bias is down and you have the discipline around your meeting materials and you have some some clarity on what the meeting is going to be, right? People feel more confident about what's available, so they that turns the bias into a heuristic. We can start to uh, really nail what we're trying to do, and we can get a lot of different opinions, and then uh, once that's closed, everyone can talk and then we can see everybody gets more trust in each other because of this creative tension. And then we can, we can move on to the next decision. So um, being very disciplined, having really good meet, uh, both research and, and just internal discipline about your discipline, uh, <laughs> used it twice, uh, uh, and then meeting discipline, and then also making those decision cycles shorter really cuts down on a lot of that uh, cognitive bias that you're seeing in organizations. I think, I think that's really great. So like the transparency in what you're doing, the discipline to, to do it well, and the short cycles. I, I think that those are really great. The one depressing thing that you said though was that you, <laughs> you can become an executive just by out-enduring everybody in meetings. So I... <laughs> I, I um, yeah, I... I I have, I guess I have mixed feelings on that now. So I didn't say it was good. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> it's definitely a pet. Yeah, no, I can definitely see it. And I, um, I don't know how I feel about it. So <laughs> this is so funny. Cause I can almost, I'm almost certain that people can endure meetings even longer now that we're all working from home. So Anyways, I, I can see this problem being even bigger, but um, I also want to add that uh, I really love all three points that you mentioned, Adam, and especially the last two, <laughs> because I do think a lot of the times when we're trying to make decisions in meetings that are, I don't know, an hour long, and at that time, 
people either not paying attention already, like you have mentioned, and also like people don't have enough time to prepare and bring what they can, you know, do to that meeting. Like for example, research that can be done in advance or thinking and all these strategizing that can be done beforehand. And as if we're trying to make a decision as a group, like we just cannot expect everyone to all of a sudden trap in a room and be able to bring anything but our own biases into that room, right? Like I, I, I see also this, I'm sure this is a common issue for a lot of, I think introvert people experience this a little more is that in a meeting, if you don't give them any time to think about the problem, they really cannot give you their best answer. And then an hour after the meeting is over, all of a sudden I'm like, uh, wait a minute, this is actually a better solution that I just came up with, but then the meeting happened already. Um, so I, I really love those things that you pointed out. So yeah, thank you for, yeah. for bringing these things up. Eva, you mentioned something I forgot to, which is one of the main through lines through all of this and something I tell executives all the time, lower the work in progress so people can have the space to do this. Mm. We're in business, like a business is here because we can solve a problem better than anybody. That's what we think. That's what we're, especially in tech, that's the directive, right? And you can't get there if everybody's working themselves to the bone because now um, there's no there's no friction, there's no time, there's no space to move over to system two thinking. It's it's just all very system one because we have to just react uh, because of so much work, right? Um, yeah. It's it really it's it's broken my heart to to talk to certain executives and see that they didn't even slow down the work pace for COVID, right? Um, as we're going through this thing right now, where uh, everybody's attention is sad, everybody's affected. To think that we're going to do the same amount of work in, um, in that same year where, you know, all this is happening is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous, right? Um, and the teams that, uh, the competitors of that, of that team that decided to work hard and, and work themselves to the bone and still deliver all their deliverables, the competitors that took a step back said, okay, we're going to really sharpen our focus. We're going to really make sure we find the right priorities and the right problem to solve. And we're not going to do anything else, right? Those teams are going to start coming out in the next three, six, nine months and start gaining real big leads on the teams that wanted to complete whatever strategy they had before COVID happened. So yeah, it's super critical that uh, if people leave with one more thing, it's just like lower the work, lower the work. Yeah. Absolutely. Plus 100 on that. Upload it. Yep. Upload. Click, click, click. <laughs> awesome. I, I do have one thing I want to add to is that at the end of the day, like I'd really like one of the product managers, how she describes this is that we're all in a mission together. We are not mercenary. We put the mission in front of us and we have to remove the biases so that we can actually build empathy for our users. Cause at the end of the day, that is, you know, our primary goal is to make something that will solve a problem for our users. And I think this is such an important problem and, and something that we can actually do something about, even though it seems so intangible. So, and, and Adam, you pointed out a lot of things that I think are kind of make it more tangible to, to help tackle these problems. So thank you. You're very welcome, Eva. And like, whenever I see companies or teams uh, struggling with this, like, it's my pleasure to help them get out because everybody starts liking work more. Everybody starts liking each other more. Everybody feels more confident in what they're doing. And that's, and that's such, a, um, such an important thing when we spend a lot of our lives with the folks that we work with. Right? We want to feel some sort of purpose in what we're doing. And we want to like doing it. Um, and because a part of the reason why we picked our professions is because we like it. Like we, we like, even you like designing. I like product. I like product. I like the fun of it, uh, the ambiguity. Like that's that's what I'm here for. And uh, all this other stuff just gets in the way of, of folks just enjoying their work. Absolutely. Should we move over to our shoutouts and gripes? <laughs> yes. And I'm happy to say today I actually have a positive shoutout. But um, I actually let's let. Uh, Adam, go first. Hey, Adam, do you have any shout outs or product gripes? We let you go either way. I have both. Awesome. If I can do both. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Same company too. <laughs> uh, 
This is even better. The plot thickens. Yes. So uh, the company that is getting my love and my ire is Apple. Start with love. I am super excited for the Mac Mini. Um, I ordered one after the keynote the other day. And um, just the fact that if, if what they're saying is true, right, they put all that power um, in an affordable machine um, that I can, I can game with, I can, uh, I can code with, if I you know, want to jump back into that world. Probably not, but I could. Um, I, can, I, can, uh, I can do everything I wanted to do. I use my iPhone uh, and iPad apps on it, like liquid text. Yes, I want to get all the liquid text stuff together. Oh, that's cool. Like I'm really excited about that, which makes this gripe suck. <laughs> I'm really, really, really unhappy with my AirPod Pros. Like just, I, I just, <laughs> I, I just, I actually prefer original AirPods over the Pros. Let's hear it. Here's why. The AirPod Pros don't really see, like they don't live up to the promise for me, right? The promise was I was going to be able to pop these things in my ear. Um, I was going to be able to have basically surround sound. It was going to be a lot easier to mm. use toggles and Siri, which I don't use, but like it was going to be a lot easier to, yeah. to use the buttons, to, to get the uh, noise cancellation, to, to uh, listen to music better um, and have phone calls. Like, all that was supposed to be easier. So I, I, the day it dropped, I was actually in Seattle, but like at, uh, unfortunately at the aforementioned Amazon. And <laughs> I ordered this, uh, I ordered them to be shipped as soon as I got home. As soon as I got home, right? Um, and um, from the day I got them, they never quite fit. Uh, oh. I can never get the sound right. Like, so like every once in a while, like it'll, the, like I'll get a hint of what the promise was. And then like, I'll move mm. my head and then it's gone. Um, and I really enjoyed the simplicity of the last AirPods, right? One action, right? So like with the first AirPods, uh, you can say, you can tell it to do one thing on the chair. And I got very comfortable with, okay, this is going to go to the, the left was going to go back a song and the right was going to move mm. forward. And that was perfect. And that's all I needed. Now I got to like click and then move and shift. And like, it's just a lot that's happening with that. And I would have much preferred um, something simple. Um, and the AirPods, uh, AirPods, even now, like my, red, my original AirPods, I can go to the gym with them. I can work out. Well, not anymore with the gym, but I can, I can uh, work out. Uh, I can work out with them in my ears. I don't have to worry about them falling out. I can shake my head. I can do all types of things. Um, but with the pros, even this afternoon, when I was walking to get a sandwich. I like, I didn't do anything weird. I just, I just walked across the street, and like, luckily, my arm caught the AirPod as it fell oh. out of my ear, right wow. into like it would have fell right into the rainy streets of New York City. So like, and I've never had to deal with that with my original AirPods. So, yes. Really excited about the Mini. Um, uh, I have an Apple uh, Watch 6 that I'm really excited about. I, I enjoy. But the AirPod Pros, it's, it's not for me. It's not that's, that's tragedy because it's, what, $100 more than the last AirPod, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think it's 100 bucks more. That sucks because, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean by like, oh, the first thing, you know, you notice is like a very simple solution and now it's not much better than what you know the first gen or second gen is like um i don't have airpods and actually it's really funny that kyle and i both like gasped pretty loud when you said <laughs> airpods pros are bad and uh kyle do you have airpods i can't no, remember we talked I've about got, this yeah we've talked about i have uh the jabra elite 75t i think and i just i love them I, they literally have a permanent place in my pocket and i just because i don't i don't have an <laughs> apple so i've got uh a galaxy note 10 plus and it just they pair so well with it and so like everything just pop them in my ears and they fit well everything i've got no complaints they just they work and they fit and everything about them just love i am probably in the no between you guys because i'm also an android phone user but i have airpods <laughs> so <laughs> um uh, also, as an Android phone user, I 
I don't want to get into that. Is Apple better than Android or is Android better than Apple? That kind of argument, because that is so drawn out and done. And we just don't need to get into that anymore. But still love a good Apple shout out and a good Apple gripe at the yeah. same time. Yeah, there a lot of their new stuff from this week looks it looks slick, looks good. So some exciting, exciting stuff. I'll be interested to hear. Anything? No, no, I just I got a new MacBook Pro uh, a couple months ago. Um, a personal one and then uh, a work one. So I have no reason to upgrade at this point. But if I did, I probably would. No, you just need that one reason that they have a new one. Right? <laughs> they do. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, what I've that's, heard. Yeah, that's that's a few thousand dollars that I don't, I wouldn't be able to justify. So it's pricey. They're yeah. getting more and more pricey. It's insane yeah, to me. I've, mine is still working beautifully. So I've. It's, I've got no reason. Mine's mine's oh. in great shape. Oh, my mine's kind of well. Mine's from work, so I don't get to complain about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Colby, my husband, has been eyeing on the new. Uh, what is that? The Air? Yeah. Model. Yeah. It looks. I mean, yeah. it looks pretty much like a MacBook Pro. Is it that from good? What I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I stopped following Apple, too. so Some, is somebody it that was good? somebody was comparing it, and it looks like it's uh, just as powerful. It seems. Okay, I feel like we can start another podcast about Apple <laughs> products, but sorry, I'll curb, curb my uh, okay. questions here. All right. I, I do have one question for Adam. Is that you mentioned gaming? What what do you play? Um, so right now, um, as I, I, I look uh, whimsically at the, the new systems, uh, I, I, I am gonna strict. I, I don't buy new systems launch system on launch week, um, but I generally play. I, I generally play everything. Um, hardcore into strategy games. Um, okay. I'm embarrassed at my uh, XCOM hours played, Mark. Uh, on the Mac Mini? Uh, no, um, just in general, like between PC and, and Mac. Um, I, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to recall it. It's in it's four digits. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I, I just love XCOM. Like it's 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 really like it's just really my shit. Um, ah, what else do I play? I, I I tend to I try everything a little bit. Like I, I like I I dance. Um, and gaming, uh, my first startup was a video game magazine. So like, I still have, uh, wow. I just, I just have a love for it just for everything. Um, gaming. Yeah. I asked, I asked because you mentioned, uh, what you were going to do with your Mac mini gaming be, uh, being one of them. I, I hope I didn't hear wrong. And I just feel like gaming is where we all can connect on. And also, I'm also very curious what people are playing on Mac nowadays, because there's not a lot of options. So, but that was why I asked and the end. It's growing. Like the Mac game collection is growing. Um, a lot of the games that come out for PC um, may have a Mac, uh, a Mac yeah. port. Um, and uh, yeah, like I, I'm really excited about one of the great things about the mini is it should be strong enough to play most games. Um, okay. As and like if I want to, I can I can go and build another PC like at some point if I really want to get into gaming. But like just just the casual stuff, like whenever XCOM three drops or whatever, like I can just play that and just beautiful you know, get another hour, thousand hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think that deserves a resume line item if you hit a thousand hours on any game. But yeah, that's that's very cool. Um, Kyle, what shout out do you have? All right. Uh, yeah, I've got a gripe this week. So I I listen to most things and watch a lot of things at like 2x speed. So most podcasts, audiobooks, a lot of videos like on YouTube and things like when I uh, when I'm doing that, like I want most things to go quickly. So even when I'm editing our podcast, like I'm going at 2x speed <laughs> just because that's what I like to do. And so my gripe is I had to do our annual uh, compliance and all of that training recently. And they had no way to speed up the videos to <laughs> any speed other than 1x. Like it was just straight up 1x. And of course, I waited until uh, Friday afternoon, the day that it was all due. And so there was like two and a half hours of videos to go through and there was no way to like skip ahead. And I found no way to speed it up, which is disappointing for me because I, I legitimately, I'm very, very comfortable moving at like 2x speed. Like I can understand everything, listen to it and comprehend 
like at a very fast speed. And, and that's where I, I love to do it. And so uh, to limit that functionality, it was like very, it's very frustrating for me because I, I don't like, I don't want to go through it at just one X speed. That's just, I just, I don't like it. And so I of course had to get creative and that's where I had both computers going at the same time. So if I couldn't do it at 2x speed, I had to double my output. What? <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, it's hopefully nobody in the HR department's listening, but they're listening. Yeah, I had uh, I had all of the training. I had training going on both my work computer and my personal laptop at the same time. So I could cut it. If I if I couldn't do it at 2x speed, I cut it in half by going on both computers at the same time and then doing like the different quizzes and and whatever like back and forth so that was how i did it but my gripe is limiting the speed to one x on that sort of stuff when you really should be able to increase the speed to 1.5 or 2 like you do on youtube and other places so that you can move through it faster like there's no reason to limit it if yep. people can still comprehend and pass all of the little quizzes and stuff on you know money laundering and and <laughs> and safe workplaces and stuff yes. i'm all for i'm all for the training no complaints on that sort of stuff like i think that we should have inclusive environments and no harassment and, and safe workplaces and that i just think that we should be able to do the training at faster speeds that's all so. I, f I feel like that was a speech <laughs> that we we're supposed to clap at the end <laughs> well, no, um that's, I just I I listen to everything at faster speed, so that's that's just my jam. As I've described before, like I hope this doesn't affect our friendship, but I have to say that's such a lunatic thing to do, and <laughs> I cannot believe that people actually do that, and it blows my mind. But I do have to ask you: if your answer is no, you can cut this out. But are you actually consuming the content of those videos? Of those ones specifically? Yeah. Oh, I was. And I was cons I was consuming as much content as I could, like, on two computers at the same time. Like, I was listening. I was what? trying to actively do it. It's much harder trying to do two at the same time <laughs> than it would have been to do it at two times speed. So I was not getting as much out of it as I could have. Uh, but I do it. Like, yes. I, I listen to everything. I take Absolutely. notes at, at, like, 2x speed. Like, the books and podcasts and stuff I listen to, I do it at two times speed. And I'm taking notes and, and all of that. Like, I'm, I'm actively listening. And 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 love it but that's and two those software they kind of they, they they limit you you have to let it play beginning to end right yes like you have you can't skip ahead like okay. it has to play and then you get to a certain point and then you have to like answer some questions and stuff so there was no moving quickly ahead on the friday afternoon okay. i have a potential hack for you <laughs> but it's tedious can you just do a screen record screen recording let it play from end to end and then upload them on YouTube, private them and just two X speed on, on YouTube. Uh, possibly. That's very tedious. <laughs> it, it would have been, that probably would have put me even further behind. I didn't realize it until the Friday afternoon that you know there was no getting ahead of it. So I'm sorry to hear that is a lot. Okay. Is it my turn? Yep. I'm sorry. I've been asking too many questions. I'll make mine very fast. It is a shout out. Surprisingly don't have any gripes this week. So it is um, another Chrome extension that I really, really love. And it's sad that they are not developing on it anymore. It's called Papier, P-A-P-I-E-R. Um, it is a extension that you can install. And then anytime you open your Chrome, usually you can choose a web page, right? But instead that extension will give you a notepad basically. And all the notes that you put in there actually persist anytime you open a new tab and it's one of the greatest thing because in meetings, whatever, just very quick. I open a new Chrome tab, I can make notes. And it is developed by a French agency. Uh, they are no longer in business. Very sad. It's called Maxu Maxu. So I guess it's not papier. That's such an American way to say it, but it's probably <laughs> like papier or something very fancy. But shout out. And I don't know why they stopped working as an agency. Started last year. That's when they went out, but Papier, go get it. PPA, the end. Nice. Is that it? That is the it. episode? That's it. Anyone hey, has anything else it. to say? Um, no. Uh, I guess last, uh, last thing, Adam, where can people find out more about you? Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, you can always find me uh, on the old website, uh, 
if you'd like to talk about any of this stuff, please, please, please uh, send me an email at adam at the adamthomas.com. The website, which I realized I didn't say the URL, is theadamthomas.com. And you can find me on Twitter, uh, where I'm dropping all types of opinions on life, music, and, and sometimes products at uh, the Honorable AT. Awesome. And we'll add that to the show notes as well. And thank you so much for being here with us, Adam. Oh, this was this was a lovely, lovely conversation, Eva. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, Kyle, for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been great. And this is it. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.